Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 70, where in a moment we discuss sorting out your mortgage during divorce. That's today's show topic and it's on the way. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. In our programmes to date, we've covered loads of stuff. Mortgages, pensions, investing, life insurance and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last week we looked at how to teach kids about money. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there. Like I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And in that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis and with me as always, the star of our show, it's Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Can I believe we're up to episode 78? I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Episode 70, and here it comes. We've looked at uh, various mortgage aspects before. I'm not sure how much we've zoomed in on this particular side of it so much, but a valid one all the same. Sorting out your mortgage during divorce, which you really need uh, a focused, sharp mind at that point. And it's literally the last thing you probably have. But why now, just into the start of another year, does it have any relevance in the conversation today, the fact it's the start of the year? Yeah, traditionally, January is usually a month where separations and, and divorce proceedings tend to start, and, and there's usually a big increase at this time of year. So I thought probably a good one to, to cover. I think we, we did do something similar this time last year. I think it was one about like sorting out your finances on divorce or, or something mm. like that. But I thought this one more specifically aimed at, at mortgages. And the reason for that, when people do divorce, the property is often one of the first things that, that come to mind. So I thought it'd be a, a good topic for us to, to cover today. Yeah, when we've spoken about this kind of thing before, I think we speculated uh, that it could be down to problems which maybe started at Christmas parties or nights out. So, you know, it'll be interesting to test that theory if divorce proceedings take a dip this year, or maybe they'll be up because folk are spending so much time around each other at home. Either way, Phil, joking aside, I mean, where do we start in this this subject, sorting out your mortgage during divorce? Because there are various ways this can go, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, for, for couples who own their own home, one of the biggest decisions that they face is what to do with the property. And there, there's several different options that they, they can take. I mean, one is that they can sell the home and, and divide the, the proceeds. And if that's the case, both might be able to, to then go on afford and, and buy another home or they, one might decide to rent. They both might decide to rent. But that, that's one of the, the first options is selling your home and, and dividing the, the proceeds it might be that one partner decides to, to buy out the other. If that's affordable, one could purchase the, the other partner's share in order to, to take ownership of the entire property. And then the other option is to, to maybe keep the ownership of the property unchanged until a later date. So you might choose to keep the property under both names and, and sell up, for example, maybe once the kids have left home. That, that's just one kind of reasons why somebody might want to do that. That last one there, keeping the ownership of the property unchanged until a later date, is that one that you can enter into through some sort of legal paperwork or is it something which simply requires trust? Because I, I could see that being difficult to tee up at that point. Yeah, de so. definitely. Another reason why people might keep the ownership the same is if, if their mortgage 
let's say it had an early repayment charge. I mean, if you had an early repayment charge, I say £5,000 and that was due to end in maybe six months time, you might think, right, we'll just wait until that period. And then, so there, there may be other kind of reasons why someone would keep the ownership unchanged until a later date. But, but when people are divorcing and, and separating, I'm always a great advocate and them seeking out and taking independent legal advice. And this just keeps everything as it should be. And it also makes sure that people get what they're entitled to, because I do see in, in many cases, a folk separating that maybe one party doesn't get everything that they're, they're maybe legally in, entitled to. So, and again, as you say, sadly, in many cases, a separation that the trust isn't there or, or attitudes to each other can change quite quickly in that circumstances. So again, I always say best to, to take independent legal advice. And I know this comes at a cost, however, paying for, for a solicitor certainly could well be, be worth it in the long run. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, effectively what you're talking about here uh, is a business transaction and, and those don't require to be fueled by emotion. In fact, you know, it, quite often it puts you sideways if emotion's involved. And I said at the beginning of the show, Phil, it's the sort of transaction which ordinarily you'd want to be fully switched on for and you, you just might not be in that zone and what can tend to be, I would imagine, a hugely emotional time when there's an awful lot to organise and get your head around. Things that you might normally pick up on could go unspotted. So ferret those out for me. Are there any sort of potential risks when it comes to sorting out your mortgage during divorce? Yeah, it definitely is an, an emotional time. And when divorce and are separating, it's a great time not only to take legal advice, but also a, a good time to, to take financial advice and possibly mortgage advice, depending on, on things as well. But speaking to a mortgage advisor, it, it can really help because they can go through all the different options that's available to you. They, they can work out things like how much you can borrow. They can give you an idea of what the monthly payments would be. So they, they can look at to see if it's going to be, an op what, what options are going to be there for you and, and what all the, the costs and implications are going to be. They, they'll be able to have a look to see if you can keep the family home. They can see how much you can possibly borrow if you, you stay put, or if you're looking to sell and then buy again, they, they can help you with all of that as well. And they can also guide you through the, the whole process on things. Sadly, when, when people are divorcing, it can take a wee while to sort out. I know from, from a legal point of view, it, it can sometimes take a, a while, but a good mortgage advisor can keep you right with, with all of that sort of thing. And for some people, they, they may want to sell and, and then maybe rent for a while before they, they decide to, to possibly buy again. But another good reason it's good to speak to a mortgage advisor, if, if you've got kids, they, they can let you know how much you can borrow if you're going to be receiving maintenance. Or likewise, if you're going to be the one that's going to be paying maintenance, that might impact on your affordability in the future as well. So a, a good starting place in, in the whole thing is to, to speak to a, a mortgage advisor. And if you are either going to be receiving maintenance or paying maintenance, Child Maintenance Service have got a good calculator on their website, and that can give you an idea of that sort of figures as well. Okay, I, I think possibly the last thing I'd want to do through choices is stay in the same home, because there'd be memories everywhere. I mean, it's a bit like moving into your, your folks' home once they've pegged it. You, you, don't, you don't want the constant reminders, but for some, they want to stay in what was the marital home for convenience of kids' schools, that kind of thing. And maybe they can't afford to buy somewhere else, and, and this is the cheaper option. You touched on it earlier, Phil, but just how do you go into a lender assessing affordability for this one? If you're if you're buying the other out, how do they work that? Because it's a unique situation, isn't it? 
Yeah, what, what they'll do is, as lenders will, will look at your income and they'll also look at your, your outgoings. Now, things like if, if you're going to be receiving maintenance, it might take a month or two for that to, to get sorted out and start coming through. And, and some lenders like to see a good history of that sort of thing coming in. And what you'll also find is some lenders won't take that sort of income into account. So again, it's good to, to sit down with a mortgage broker and they, they can go through all of that. But when, when it comes to mortgage affordability, I mean, in, in days gone by, lenders used to multiply your wage by maybe three and a half, four, or, or even up to five times what you had coming in as an annual salary. And that's how much you, you could borrow. But it's all changed these days. And they, they do look a lot closer at your ins and outs to determine what you can afford. A lot of lenders have got mortgage affordability calculators, and they're quite good when, when you go into them. It'll ask about all the different income you've got. It'll ask about the, the various expenses you have. And they, they would base that figure on there. But like I say, if you speak to an independent mortgage broker or a whole market broker, they, they know which lenders will, will take what income into account. Um, so if you work quite tight on affordability, they'll be able to help you maybe get a, a lender that can allow you to borrow a wee bit more. I'm just wondering, um, for the sake of something like this, where one buys the other out, or that's the intention anyway, yeah. in other words, it's not going on to the market, who assigns the value to the property for, for the purpose of, of, of that sale? Is it a bit like a remortgage where the lender would get in a, a, you know, someone to value it for the purposes of that? Yeah, if, if you're doing a remortgage, then lenders will generally tend to instruct a valuation, and a lot of them will cover the cost of that. But the downside of that is, if they're doing that, they often it'll often be a non-disclosed valuation. So not in every case will they actually give you a copy. And not only that, the, the person who's buying out the other one, the, the one who's being bought out, they might think, oh, well, hang on, I'm not happy with that survey. I would rather maybe get an independent surveyor in. So again, what, what you'll find in many cases is that the solicitors will recommend getting a, a proper surveyor in to, to value the property and see what kind of figure they, they come away with. So again, that's another reason why it's good to, to seek out and take independent legal advice. It's not always straightforward this either, Phil. I mean, we've hardly painted a straightforward picture so far, I know, but I'm thinking about various complications here. For instance, let's say you weren't actually married, but living together, or maybe one of the couple had the property beforehand and the other moved in. So the mortgage or the deeds are only in the one name, not jointly. What happens in, in that type of scenario? Yeah, that's it. Pe people have got more rights when they're married. If you're cohabiting, though, you still have a lot of rights as well, although things are a bit different there. I know what one of the occasions when me and my partner split up, we weren't married, and, and you only at that point, you only have a year to try and take the other one to court if you're trying to make a claim on things. But whereas if you're married, that's that's different. Not only that, I mean, diff different laws apply across the different parts of the UK. So things in England and Wales are quite different from Scotland and Northern Ireland is, is different again. So I, that's another reason why I think it's good. Like divorce and separation can be complicated. And that's why I always recommend speaking to a solicitor. And, and not only that, I mean, if, if your circumstances permit, you might qualify for legal aid. So don't be put off speaking to someone, even if you're maybe on a lower or no income, there, there can be support there to, to help you get that legal advice in this circumstances as well. Yeah. But the message to have a home there obviously is, is why it's so important to have independent legal advice through the entire process, isn't it? Definitely. And not only that, you, you want to, if you're separating or divorcing, 
You also want to review things like wills. I mean, that, that's a really important one. One, to make sure that you've got a will in place, but also to make sure it's up to date and, and whoever gets who you want it to go to. Because I have seen some cases in the past where someone's maybe had a will, they, they've been separating, one of them parties has died and the other one's inherited their things because they hadn't changed it and legally they were still married. So again, that's another important reason to, to take legal advice as well. Now, regardless of however much that costs and, and how tight things get, one of the things you have to try and do is stay on top of the mortgage payments going forward from this. I mean, why is that so important? Phil? What's wrong with you know, arranging a payment holiday if it helps you out for a month or two? If you've got a joint mortgage, then you're both jointly liable for it. I've seen in the past some people that, that I remember when I worked at the Skipton Building Society, there was one couple that split up and one paid half the mortgage and the other paid half the mortgage. But if one of them had decided not to pay that half, they are both liable for, for that. And sadly, things aren't always amicable. And um, if the mortgage isn't getting paid, then this will impact on your credit rating in the future as well. Even if you were paying part of it, the, the one that's maybe not paying the, the other part could, could have a big impact. And taking a payment holiday is not so bad. The only downside with that is that the debt needs to be re repaid at some point in time. So um, whether that's when the property's being sold or if one's remortgaging, taking over it, then the mortgage balance may be higher at that point of time. But um, it is important to, to keep your credit rating as good as you, you can, especially if you're looking to buy another property or borrow money in the future. You, you want to be making sure that the mortgage payments are being met while things are getting sorted out. As you mentioned, you know, a financial advisor, a mortgage broker could be invaluable to you, whatever you're thinking of doing, if this type of thing impacts your life at some stage, because it's not one of those spends that you budget for, is it? I mean, it's totally out of the blue, so there's no preparation as such. Yeah, that's it. Financial advice and mortgage advice really are sort of key and so important at, at that stage. And a mortgage advisor can help with things like the affordability side. If, if you're looking at buying another property, they can look at all the different options the different home options that you've got. We, we actually did a podcast, should I buy or should I rent? That was another one that we did <laughs> at one point in time as well. A financial advisor, they, they can help with other things. So things like reviewing your pension situation is, is going to be important. They, they can also advise on things, areas such as life insurance. That's often one that's overlooked. And again, we, we did a, a previous podcast life insurance on an ex-partner or spouse. And that was such an important one if you've got kids. It, yeah. it really is. And, and not only that, if, if you've got life insurance, which is often linked to a mortgage, it may be that you've maybe set up a joint policy, so that would need reviewing. Also, if like if you've got kids, it's so important to, to have life insurance in place and, and even on the ex-partner, because you've got to think, right, if something happens to them, does my income change or does my outgoings change? There's a lot to, to factor in there. Another thing when it comes to life insurance as well, and it, it's quite closely linked to, to mortgages, so that's why I'll, I'll mention this, but a lot of life insurance policies get set up in trust and that helps them pay out quicker. It helps the money often for inheritance tax purposes. So, so a lot of people have got their, their life insurance in trust and if that's in trust but the beneficiary is your spouse, that's when, again, you want to review all of that to see if you want that changed in, in the future. So lots of areas that's very important when people are splitting up. 
Yeah, an awful lot of stuff there. Uh, and I do remember that um, life insurance on an ex-partner because I remember saying to you at the time, it's a bit like the starting five minutes of an old 70s Columbo <laughs> episode. You're taking out life insurance. Um, what about other outlets of uh, of help if you find yourself in this situation? What else is out there that you'd recommend, Phil? Uh, quite, quite often the courts end up having to be involved. If you can't agree on the, the best course of action, then a court will decide for you. The courts place the well-being of any children at the heart of their decision and they'll choose the option that causes as little disruption to them as, as possible. So sometimes things, I mean, it'll, the, the solicitors will try to sort things out, but sadly in, in a lot of cases, the courts have to, to get involved as well. So it is, it, I, I've been through a couple of, no, no, I've never been married, but I, I've been through, through sort of staying with people before and Sadly, it can be quite a stressful time. There's a lot to think about and your mind's not always clear at that kind of time as well. No, absolutely. Um, one last thing I was going to touch on here. Let's just assume for, for sake of argument that the property that you're, you're staying in is rented and not owned. Are there any potential things that you have to look out for there in that instance if you're, if you're divorcing? Yeah, again, I mean, it, there's still stuff to sort out. You've got like the, the tenancy agreements need, need to be looked at. You'd have to look and see how long you're, you're tied in to, to that. Well, one good thing, well, a lot of the, the changes over the years, it, it used to be that you would take out like a, a six-month lease yeah. and then often it'll just roll for a month thereafter. So for, for a lot of people, that wouldn't be such an issue. But if you'd only just moved in and a month in, you thought, oh, can I stick this? Then it might be a wee bit more difficult to, to come out of a lease at that point of time. But yeah, the, I, I, even in that position, you, you're still kind of jointly liable if it's, well, I, again, that's that's stuff for the, the solicitors to to sort out, but yeah, it can have big impact on, on that as well. So it's slightly more straightforward, but not all that much if, yeah. if it's acrimonious, let's say. Um, here we go, Phil, as we enter into the, the, the part of the show where you share bits from your own life story, what have you got regarding this one and sorting out your mortgage during divorce? Yeah, but like, like I say, I've never been married, but I have been, like I've stayed with a couple of folk in the past and sadly when, when things come to an end, I remember the first girl that I stayed with, at that point I, I was happy just to kind of walk away and think, right, I want to just start again. I, I could have tried to get some money out of that property and, and really I would have been entitled to to kind of half the equity that was in it, but I knew she was on quite a lower, lower wage than I was and I just thought, right, I'll just leave it to her. I just want to move on, have a clean break and, and get short of things as quickly as possible. And over time, you do kind of regret that a wee bit because you think, well, yeah, it helped her out. But sometimes you've got to think about yourself as well. That, that's a thing. And on that occasion, it was fine. There wasn't any kids involved. And then the, the next time I stayed with someone, there, there was kids involved at that time. So there was an awful lot more to, to take into account. And again, a lot of what I did at that point was all revolved around the, the children because they, they were the most important thing there. But sadly, it, it, the kids often end up in the middle of these sort of things if, if people are divorcing. And, and that's kind of sad as well. But there, there is, there's a lot to take out. I've been through it before myself. So anyone in this or that position just now, they, they've certainly got my sympathies and uh, hopefully they, they can kind of move on and, and sort everything out as amicably and quickly as possible. Just as a, 
a sort of general word of advice, Phil, is this something, because I've heard you speak about this before, is this something, this this sort of whole process where you would advise, if you were telling a friend, you would say, look, you know, I, I know that the idea is to get get shot of this whole process as quickly as possible, but but don't do that at the expense of losing out or the expense of losing something, yeah? Yeah, I, I remember one of the podcasts we did not that long ago was around pensions and divorce. And I think at that point, I actually said that women, there, there was only, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was only like a small percentage would actually seek out advice yeah. on the pensions at that point. So, it, which was just quite incredible. And women live longer, so really they, they've got more I need to have a, a good pension pot than, than what a man would have. It's just staggering, but there's a lot to sort out, a lot to look into. And sadly, if things aren't amicable, it can drag on quite a, a period of time. I mean, I, I'm going through it just now with my trying to get access to my youngest son. The, we, we've been at court for over a year now, and it just is crazy. It just seems to be one thing after another, costing a lot of money. And you just think it doesn't have to be this way. But sadly, it's the same when, when people are divorcing. It can often take quite a long period to, to sort everything out. Yeah, and nine times out of ten, it's the kids who suffer most. Yeah. Uh, Phil, we, we all do this bit as well. You find inspiration, I know, through various people that you admire, and you love a quote. Have you got one that fits our subject matter for this episode, sorting out your mortgage during divorce? I'm, I'm a man that likes to, to stay positive, and I don't know who came away with, with this quote, but divorce isn't a tragedy a tragedy is staying in an unhappy marriage. Oh, there you go. Now, Phil is uh, really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, you can. And as always, we can ask those anonymously if you prefer us to. Let's get on to this week's uh, contact details in a second. I'll give it to you after this. Here's our first question. Hi, Phil. There was an interest rate hike just before Christmas, and I'm led to believe there might be two or three more during 2022. What might that mean for my mortgage? If, if you're on a fixed rate mortgage, which most people tend to be, it won't have any impact until the fixed rate period ends. At this point, that's when you may see your, your payments rise a bit. If you're on a variable rate mortgage, your payments are likely to have gone up slightly just recently. If you're on a £100,000, if you've got a mortgage of £100,000, a quarter of a percent increase in interest rates will add about £20 a month to your mortgage. So that just gives you a rough can I idea there what it, what it would go up. I know in December that the base rate went up from 0.1% to 0.25%. They do think that they, they, what they're trying to do is control inflation. Inflation's been higher than it's been for, for some time. And what they do in that situation is put interest rates up to try and curb people's spending, which then takes inflation down. So it'll be interesting to see who that how that goes throughout the year and whether there will be more rate hikes um, mm. on the, the go. If there is, I mean, we're, we're still having the effects of COVID and stuff just now. So I, I don't know. I, I, I Personally, I hope that they want to put them up by just too much, but we, we may see further rate rises later on in the year at some point in time, but on, only time will tell. Nobody knows, to, to be honest. But if you had a £100,000 mortgage on a variable interest rate, if it goes up by quarter of a percent, then that's adding about £20 a month to your, your payment there. It's kind of the perfect storm, isn't it? Because I, I seem to remember that when they put in that first interest rate hike, 
the inflation rate, I think, was at 5.1%, somewhere around yeah. there. So it needed to be done. But, you know, it, 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 then, then you've got people paying more on their mortgage every month at a time when everything else is going up. Uh, and it, it's there's just no right move sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually on a, a variable rate tariff at home for my gas and electricity at the moment. And I've been better just sticking on the, the sort of standard rate. I think um, that's the, there's a like a call until April, I'm going to be just on that. There's like a cap, energy cap. So I'll, I'll have that to review soon. But I was speaking to one energy broker just recently and he gave me some indications as to some of the rises that he's been dealing with. Some of it's just it's crazy. Yeah. That's sadly just the way it is at the moment. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, next uh, on that kind of subject really is one from Jill in New Pitts-Ligo. She says, um, hi, Phil, normally I've been away about £300 a month fairly easily into my ISA, but I'm worried with the rise of domestic bills, council tax, because the freezes come off that as well. And let's face it, almost everything on the horizon, I won't be able to do that anymore. I don't want to just give up saving in my ISA, but I do want it to be readily accessible in case I need to dip into it. Can you tell me what sort of time period I'd have to wait these days for the most responsive, accessible ISAs to pay out, please? Yeah, if, if it's a cash ISA, if it's that that's just saving into then check with the bank to see, because many of these will be instant access cash ISAs. You do get some that's maybe like 30 days notice or ones that the money's locked away for a year or two, but for the majority of them, they are going to be fairly accessible. If it's a stocks and shares ISA that you, you pay in, again, a lot of these will be quite accessible. However, some may have penalties for, for withdrawing in a certain time period. One thing that you should view, if it's a stocks and shares ISA, they should be regarded as long-term investments. And if stock markets are down when you want to take money out, then you could get back less than what you, you put in. But So it would depend if it's a cash ISA or a stocks and shares ISA, what the, the kind of answer to her would be there. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, it's one of these things where people are starting to worry about where the money is at the moment, I suppose, as well. Uh, would you say, before you get in touch with the question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics in there and we might have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us today for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you need a helping hand with anything we've been talking about or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or on the Facebook page for the show, search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question that he can answer on a future show? His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. And as I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured, we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or whatever you get your podcasts. Then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks, John. 